danger is stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will Hello and welcome to episode 351 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly by Clayton Fletcher in New York, New York. Uh, many of you will know Clayton as a professional poker player and a professional comedian who uh, hosts the Tournament Poker Edge podcast and has been a frequent guest on the Thinking Poker Podcast. Uh, today's appearance by Clayton is going to be a departure from our usual fare. It is not terribly poker-related, uh, except that uh, it is a conversation <laughs> between uh, myself and, and my friend and fellow poker professional, Clayton. Um, you know, he, he is, as I said, also a professional comedian, and uh, this episode is a conversation between him and me about uh, political correctness, freedom of expression, and so-called cancel culture, um, really with an emphasis on the world of comedy, although you know, those topics certainly have come up in the poker world uh, as well. This began as a conversation on Twitter. Um, it soon became clear that it was too big for Twitter, and so we decided to do it as a podcast episode instead. Um, so, you know, this is not, there's not going to be really a strategy in this, not, I mean, there's not poker strategy in this uh, episode. There's not even terribly much uh, poker discussion. Um, obviously, you know, both of our, our views on things are, are perhaps informed by our experiences in, in the poker world, but this is not really a conversation about poker for those of you who uh, <laughs> are sticklers about such things. Uh, a few other things that I want to say up front. Uh, first, this is not intended as a definitive anything. Um, Clayton and I were not, just spoiler alert, like <laughs> we're not coming to any conclusions or reaching any tidy resolutions. Uh, this is just two friends uh, with somewhat different views on a controversial subject, trying to better understand each other's perspectives and the issue at large, and to have a conversation with an emphasis on understanding rather than uh, arguing or trying to prove anything. Um, so I hope that if you choose to listen, you'll listen with that same objective. I know uh, probably just about everybody has their own opinions on this uh, subject, and you know, hopefully you'll uh, gain some new perspective from hearing ours. Uh, Speaking of perspectives, uh, we are both middle-aged, financially comfortable, comfortable in sex, uh, straight white men. Uh, in many ways, we disagree, but uh, you know we're not trying to present this as a matter of you know you're hearing like both sides of, of the issue. There's a lot more than two sides uh, to this issue, and uh, we're really not offering anything uh, more than just our own you know thoughtful, reasonably informed perspectives. Uh, and finally, we do talk bluntly about these issues. Uh, we are sometimes discussing examples of jokes that are arguably racist, sexist, or transphobic. Uh, we try to do that respectfully, but do be aware uh, that you will hear those things during this uh, conversation if you choose to listen to it. Okay, I think that's everything. With that in mind, please enjoy my conversation with Clayton Fletcher. Um, 
Okay, well, uh, Clayton, thank you for, uh, well, I mean, for, for agreeing to do this with me, but also just for, you know, being open to uh, sharing your ideas in general on, on Twitter and, and wherever else. I know there's always some sort of, uh, I feel like almost no matter what you say, you know, there, someone uh, is, is going to give you a hard time about it. So I think, I think we're both fairly good about, like, sticking our necks out a little bit on, uh, on, on Twitter, but I appreciate that you're willing to do that and, and willing to do it here as well. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I'm quite a uh, a masochist on Twitter. I, you know, a lot of the things that I that I tweet, I actually know that I'm going to get some sort of backlash. Oh yeah. But but you know what? It's just uh, I don't really take any of the backlash, if you will, personally. It's just you know the fact of life is people see things differently, and for me, I enjoy getting the other points of view as long as they're delivered in a respectful way which is often uh, too tall of an order for the twitter community <laughs> right <laughs> no that's the thing and i guess i mean the, the last time you were on here we talked about this a little bit and, and i shared that article with you i think i didn't actually link it in um in the show notes so i'll try to, to do that this time but you know i i think the, the really critical thing is like I, I do think it's important to be you know ex- exposed to ideas from you know that you disagree with or from people you disagree with or whatever and i think the important thing is that those need to be credible sources like it, it's helpful that we're friends who both respect each other because now it's not going to be so easy for me to just dismiss like if you say something that doesn't immediately seem right to me for me to just be like oh that's just some you know uh, i don't know delusional nut job you know it's like this is a guy that i know and like and respect so like maybe i should consider why he thinks differently about something than i do rather than just or you know in, like, in many cases like the people that i'm dismissing like i think deserve to be dismissed i don't mean to say it's just like convenient on my part i think you know if, if i'm like there's a reason i'm not bringing like ann coulter on the show to talk about this you know <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think that you and Ann Coulter are going to see eye to eye at any point during a one-hour podcast. So, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Um, so, let's start this off. And I kind of just want to ask you, you know, like, as specifically as possible, like, what are your concerns? Because you've raised some things on Twitter, and I know Twitter doesn't really give you the the space to ar- articulate uh, these things. But, like, from the perspective of, of a working comedian what is it that you're worried about you know, either for for yourself or for you know other other comics yeah so uh, i mean that's such a big question but i guess i can try to i could try <laughs> like, to like food on the table <laughs> yeah yeah i could just put like one little piece of this buffet in my mouth at a time yeah. but um you know i have a lot of concerns and mostly they come from uh the spirit of creativity so you know my training is in theater uh music and then I eventually found acting uh, was less, um, I guess, rewarding for me, uh, like spiritually, than comedy. And I eventually came to the conclusion that the reason I was studying all of these other performing arts was because my favorite sound in the world was hearing people laugh. So just to give some, you know, a little bit of framework of where I'm coming from. So a lot of my training and a lot of the exploration I've done in terms of developing my own creativity involves a freedom uh, that is necessary for true creativity to occur. Um, so the creative space needs to be a judgment-free zone, a, um, a safe, <laughs> I hate to use this term because it's so loaded, but a safe space mm. where uh, if you try something in a creative environment and it absolutely fails, or it doesn't have the desired effect, or it's just you know not good 
and and that that's a loaded word too but to say that art is good or bad is obviously a question of aesthetics but the person creating the art sh- is typically best served to not concern himself or herself with what the audience will think at least in the beginning of the creative process mm-hmm. okay so i know this is kind of uh uh ephemeral or something but look i'm i'm what i'm getting at is there is there's brilliance out there in the comedy world that I'm witness to on a nightly basis when there's no global pandemic in progress. And a lot of that brilliance is now kind of under attack by people like the uh, star of the article that I shared. Uh, I wanted to get the ball rolling with talking about the state of comedy on Twitter with comedy fans uh, what i didn't expect was that the poker players would jump in and really it ended up being mostly poker players engaging in this conversation i was surprised that no comedians really got involved too much in the conversation and i was even more surprised that comedy fans didn't seem to want to share their opinions either because my followers are into one of three categories okay people who follow me on twitter are either comedians that i know comedy fans that like my stuff or poker players or poker personnel <laughs> in some <laughs> in some way so did I, I answer at all <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say on, on that last point I, I think i belong in, in both of those last two categories i mean i'm i've probably only consumed you know less than one percent of of the comedy that you have but i think uh relative to um the average non uh, comic, you know, I'm, I'm probably in the top like five percent of, of U.S. citizens in terms of you know going to comedy shows and watching comedy specials and that that sort of thing. So uh, I, I think you can count me as a as a notch in both of those last two categories as a comedy fan and a poker player. Agreed. And you know, you've come to some of my comedy shows before, and you've talked to me about different comedians and the ones that you like and respect i know you follow other comedians besides me on twitter which is frankly rude Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i definitely would put you in that category which is why i was so happy to engage in this sort of philosophical argument i I don't even want to say argument but we definitely uh discussed uh what's going on in comedy and kind of the thrust of the article i shared was that there's this guy named seth simon who is basically um a pretty powerful uh writer comedy critic if you will and he seems to have an agenda that comedians who don't share his political views should be silenced and he seems to be taking measures to to silence them for example getting this one fired from his writing job or that one you know banned from this comedy club or trying to get people to not go to a certain comedy club because the owner uses certain comedians so uh i think that was really what the article was about like almost like this guy sees himself as the comedy police and you know as a creative person myself i don't like the idea of creativity being policed so that was kind of my gut reaction and and what started the uh the conversation yeah, and I will say, you know, I'm I'm not familiar with this uh, particular individual, so you know, I'm, I'm not going to be real well equipped to like engage in the in the specifics of that. Um, you know, I would draw a pretty sharp distinction between um, 
criticism of uh, things that people say on stage versus you know silencing and the in, I mean and some of the things that you mentioned I think are you know are silencing like trying to get people fired from jobs or you know prevent them from getting hired from jobs in in the first place and I mean this is a distinction that shows up even in like Supreme Court jurisprudence on you know the, the idea of like prior restraint is it like you you might be um, you might face consequences for something you say after the fact but you can still say it and usually there's like a higher bar for stopping someone from saying a thing in in the first place uh, and I think there's probably you know room to talk about both of those um, categories of things like I don't I'm not even necessarily like anti any form of what we might call silencing but I think it's certainly a lot harder to make a case for like the, the, the legitimizing the silencing I don't really and I, I think we may even have a difference of opinion on the um, on just the, the criticism side of things of just like that the, the creative space should be a judgment-free zone. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I understand... I mean, it, it, so it feels to me, when, when you're putting something out there, you are, you're asserting something and you're making an argument. And I think it's, I mean, not that, like, other forms of art don't get criticized, but, like, if I, you know, paint a painting, I'm not necessarily or as explicitly making as an argument as I think a lot of comics are like even if they're doing it in the form of a joke there's still like a point to it and there's something that they're trying to convey there's an idea that they're trying to express and I do think it's valuable to have people you know like, exp like I think it's good to have a space where people can experiment with uh, ideas, including ideas that are like unpopular or uncomfortable or whatever um, but I guess it's not obvious to me like I guess it seems to me like the part of that space is that they can get, you know, that they may get criticized for those ideas. Like that seems like part of the process to me. One hundred percent. And so let me make the distinction between the creative space that I'm mentioning and say, for example, somebody's Netflix special. Um, you know, the creative space I was referring to earlier is kind of that earlier process where uh, a lot of what people like this simon guy well we don't even have to talk about him because you're as you mentioned you're not as familiar with him but what i find is happening a lot in comedy and the thing that kind of irks me the most or or even more than irks me it scares me the most is that uh what happens in a comedy club is not going to translate well to somebody blogging about it the next day because what happens in the comedy club is uh, the creative space is kind of heightened and the audience has its own personality so when you have a packed house and they kind of tell you earlier in the night where they set the bar you know say for example a comedian makes uh, an off-color joke that might be offensive to some audiences but won't be offensive to other audiences and then uh, the audience laughs hysterically at that questionable joke, that comedian will often come backstage and tell the other comedians, oh, this crowd is live. You know, they're they're up for anything. And that kind of tells those of us that have some material that might be uh, only used uh, for, you know, discretion is advised, which audiences you break this particular joke out on. Uh, we'll say, okay, so we can green light all of our jokes tonight, right? But then if there's a blogger or someone that's in the audience that wants to say, especially when it comes to famous comedians, that they, for whatever reason, they were offended by this joke or 
I can't believe this comedian said this, that, or the other. And now the Twitter sphere starts to gang up on that comedian and say, you never should have said something like that. This is hateful. This is phobic. Never mind that the audience had a great time and no one in the room was actually analyzing the material in that way because of the group mentality that audiences develop. Uh, they, each, each audience sets its own bar. Now, to be clear, Andrew, as you know from watching my stuff, I'm not exactly the edgiest comic in the world. So it's kind of, it's, it's actually a little bit odd that I'm the one that's always kind of banging the drum and championing this particular cause because it, it's not like I'm Anthony Jeselnik or it's just not my... Well, no, uh, that, that's part of why I take it more seriously because I know that it's not, you, like, you don't have a personal, as much of a personal investment. Like I'm sure you have friends who, you know, are, are maybe in that category, but you know, it's, it's not like you're defending yourself here. Like you clearly have a, a principle that you believe in. Yeah, it's more about a principle because like the type the type of material that I like to write and perform is actually usually not very questionable as far as its um, you know offensiveness. Although if you try hard enough, you can find someone somewhere who's offended by all of my jokes. <laughs> you know, it's just because each individual has his or her own uh, barometer or what the, where the line is, right? So a lot of times what you'll see on Twitter is someone saying, you know, I, I went to the comedy cellar last night and this comedian crossed the line, you know. But what that person is not really acknowledging is that her line might be different from yours or mine. And in fact, it almost definitely is different because that's a personal thing where your line is. Do you find this offensive? Now, there are some things that we want to take an extreme example. You know, if my joke is uh, some kind of hateful joke about you know how all black people should go back to africa or something i think that everyone would agree that's that's crossed everybody's line right that's not what i'm talking about though i'm talking about something that is a little bit more in the gray area where it could be offensive it could also be funny it could be offensive and funny and this is where people have to realize that art is uh is going to a lot of times art will have this effect like you know if you take Igor Stravinsky now that it's springtime you know his <laughs> most famous piece of music was the rite of spring right so i don't know if you ever heard the rite of spring but back in 1908 or whatever it was i might have the year wrong um people actually left the concert hall when the symphony orchestra played Stravinsky's the rite of spring because it's it's an orchestral piece about um, how people uh, tend to be uh, more awakened in springtime for their <laughs> mating season rituals and things like that. And people were actually offended uh, and they actually left. And so the, the customers had the right to leave and, and you know show their displeasure with the piece because for them, and remind you, it's instrumental orchestral music that they thought crossed the line. And so I guess that's what I'm getting at is your line, and some people stayed and listened to the Rite of Spring. Some people certainly enjoyed it. And some people were so offended by it, they didn't stay for the rest of the performance. So now, now, a hundred and, you know, whatever years later, it's widely regarded as one of the masterpieces in, in classical music history. So how do we know? It, it's... When you get into a question of aesthetics, right, this is good, this is bad, it's like somebody might say, oh, country music is garbage, 
And somebody else might say, I really like the sound of country music. And I think that we don't really do that as much with comedy. I think that some people approach comedy with the idea that the first litmus test is, is this in any way offensive to any individual or group? Or could it be construed as being that? And if so, I, I don't want to laugh because I want to I want to feel like I'm on the right side of morality. And, I, and you know, there never used to be this... Uh, synergy between morality and laughter and what's comedy and so in a way comedians are being more careful and that in itself is stifling creativity in the name of trying not to hurt people and i have mixed feelings about whether that's a good thing yeah i think stifling creativity is there's always like that's a, a cost um and I would draw a distinction between just offending people versus, like, I think there are other there are other kinds of harm that can be caused besides just like a person who was in the audience at that moment getting offended. And in fact, I think like often the worst harm can be caused when no one in the audience is offended. When in fact, like everyone is fully on board. So even in the example that you used, I mean, you said like that would cross everyone's line in the case of like you know a really racist joke. And I mean, I I think it's true that like you would be unlikely to find an audience unless it was a very self-selected group in the United States where like very many people would feel comfortable laughing at that. But I mean, it does not, doesn't seem inconceivable to me that like the KKK or some other like hate group, like, I mean, they have conventions, they have, you know, like I think they could find a comedian who would, um, you know, someone who would, who would do something that, you know, resembles comedy in the sense of, you know, standing up, telling things to get a laugh where like they are sharing jokes along those lines um, where like there is an entire audience of people who are sort of like clapping and, and applauding and, and cheering for that. And I think even in a, a case where it's like, there's not as much of a, a consensus on it, but um, so like an example that I would point to would be any sort of like transphobic uh, humor. And I know that's one that's kind of like set off a lot of, uh, a lot of these controversies of late um, where like, I think it's not probably too hard to find an audience where like a fair number of people will laugh at a joke that some other people would consider transphobic or something like that. And the harm wouldn't necessarily be just, I mean, it, like there would be harm done if there were, you know, a, a trans person in the audience or like someone else who were, who were offended by that. But I think the bigger problem would be um, if transphobia is something that contributes to real life harm against trans people and i believe that it is like you know a lot of trans people are uh attacked or or even killed just for sort of being who they are or, or looking the way that they do or whatever and i think to the extent that someone kind of like telling jokes that um reinforce uh, negative views of trans people, I think is like contributing to that mentality. I don't mean to say that like, that's the only reason it, it's happening, but I think that like, there is a force called, uh, I mean, we call it transphobia. I think phobia is a, a kind of misleading term in that context, but like, there is a, a sort of like, anti-trans zeitgeist um, in, in, in some part uh, of the population. And like, that does translate into violence against people. And I think that, you know, it, it's, um, like making jokes that or, or sort of like a comedy that reinforces those kinds of beliefs uh, i think can have harm above and beyond like offending particular members of the audience does that make sense 
Yeah, it, it, it more than makes sense. I mean, it's a very good point, especially, and I think that one reason why um, it's it's wise to look at trans issues um, as a way to kind of dissect this uh, this point that you're making is as opposed to black issues. I mean, nearly the entire population agrees with people being born black and <laughs> you know they're black and and they deserve rights i mean that is the the kkk at, like, like you mentioned and people that uh sympathize with them is actually a very 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 small percentage of the population but it's not as small as i thought it was a few years ago but yeah well yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's fair that's fair but it's still it's still a lot smaller than we than than the group that is uh, uncomfortable, let's say, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a I guess, it, it, uncomfortable with trans people, unfamiliar with trans people, uh, undecided about how they feel about trans people. There is a lot of, I mean, the idea of someone that was born with these genitalia and now has those genitalia will certainly uh, s spark certain kinds of feelings among just about everybody. And so, would you want to do that yourself? Why would that person want to do that? These are kind of questions as the world comes to terms with the fact that trans people are here and uh, they're not going anywhere and whether we should let them use this bathroom or that bathroom or whatever is kind of at the front of uh, a lot of people's thinking nowadays, especially, uh, you know, people that are in politics and uh, or like like to discuss that sort of thing on online. But, you know, honestly, the average American person probably has never even met a trans person. And I mean, of course, here in New York, I, mean, I probably have like at least 35 I can name that live in my building, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'm in a really liberal city where, you know, trans people are much more accepted. So suppose I'm on stage and I wouldn't, I wouldn't make jokes about trans people. Um, but suppose, uh, I'm as a comedian, I'm on stage and, uh, I make a joke and someone in the audience doesn't know anything about trans people and is basically because he's unfamiliar and he's from a place where, he doesn't think he knows any trans people. He might be swayed to think a certain way about them based on whether or not something I said was funny to him or if it reinforces his general fear of them or whatever stereotype he thinks they, they fit into. I definitely see that as a problem and that comedians are contributing to the detriment of society in that way but let me give you uh an example i know several trans comedians in fact on my other podcast most of your listeners probably know about the tournament poker edge podcast but i also co-host the broadway comedy club radio podcast and we recently recorded an interview with julia scotty who was a semi-finalist on america's got talent and also uh is trans uh, and so we spoke with her and we also, uh, I have a, a friend that performs in my show here in New York named Allison Grillo and she is trans and 
she actually has a joke where she tells the audience, I used to be a waitress. And before that, I was a waiter. So that's a trans person kind of poking lighthearted fun at being trans, right? So does that mean that all jokes about trans people are offensive? So that's where we have to try to figure out on a case-by-case -case basis which jokes are doing harm and which jokes are just having fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't even necessarily have a problem with offensive. I think it's more just like that. I guess I felt like what you were saying earlier was that you know, if you weren't there that night or if you weren't part of the audience, then you can't really like have an opinion on on what was said or like respond to to what was said in the context of like bloggers or something like that. And I think that you know, like there is a national that like I think the distinction between you know. Um, like so, we certainly don't have like a, a full-on consensus. Or like, I don't, you know, I don't think either of us think we're where we should be in terms of, uh, you know, race relations or civil rights for uh, non-white people or, or things along those lines. But like, I think are the sort of like terms of the national conversation on race are different than what they are on on trans people. And I think there is more sort of like current controversy around trans things. And I think that um, or trans issues. And I think that. Uh, they're like part of this national dialogue. I think like comedians should be part of that dialogue. I don't even necessarily have a problem with people. Like I think part of the value of the creative space is that like there are arguments being had. And I'm, I mean, some of this is, is as broad as like, you know, should they be allowed to use the bathroom? Yes or no. But I think like even, I mean, I'm not even really like aware of the contours of all these arguments, but I'm sure like within trans community, like I'm, I'm sure your, your friends who are trans comedians are with, like, have much more nuanced idea of like, what are some of the debates, like even within their communities that, that are probably getting hashed out in, in some of their shows. Um, so I think it, like it, it's it's not really a matter of like well they shouldn't be allowed to say it because it's offensive as much as like what they're saying is is part of a, a national dialogue or a national conversation national debate whatever you want to call it that we're all having and like there are going to be people who have responses to the things that that they're saying and if people are saying things that um, other people find like not just offensive in the sense of like whoo I can't you know like pearl clutching but like <laughs> I think it's like you know it, it's a problem or um, I think it's like dangerous for people to believe this thing that you're encouraging people to believe. And so I want to like push back against that. Um, like that seems to me perfectly legitimate. And the only question is like exactly what forms should that pushback be allowed to, to take. But I guess I, I, I don't really buy the like, well, you know, if, if no one in the audience was offended, then like no one else gets to have an opinion on it. If that, I, I'm yeah. not sure if that's like really a fair uh, summary of your opinion. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. No, I really appreciate the opportunity to clarify what I meant by that. Um, sometimes the blogs or the tweets or whatever, you know, morning after, um, <laughs> at morning after a comedy show, things that I see that, that bother me, um, they seem to take the viewpoint that the audience was offended by the comedian. Um, and many times, because I was also in the room myself, I know that's not true. So my only point there is that I think that when you take something that was clearly a joke, 
Now, in order for a comedian to get a laugh in New York City, where the audiences are about as liberal as you'll find, um, the, the audience has to suspend disbelief as far as every single word this comedian is saying is his or her honest opinion, and also kind of get on board with the fact that it's midnight on a Saturday night, and this is the place where we say the things that we don't say at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at the office on a Tuesday or something like that. So it's just, in a sense, when you share what a comedian said as you do clutch your pearls, you are, uh, in a sense, inherently taking that thing out of context because something in the context of the comedy show and the comedy club is not the same as it is on Twitter, is not the same as it is like in the workplace, right? So it's kind of like after midnight, uh, half the audience at least, from every audience I talk to, I would say about half of them, maybe a little more, they show up at the door that night expecting to hear the unspeakable spoken. And so I, I just, my point about the bloggers or whatever is not that they don't have any good points to make about kind of looking at comedy as uh, one of the forms of communication that we have in the world, but more so that when they start getting after this joke or that joke, they're really taking everything out of context because the audience kind of sets the bar what can be said and what can't. And if the audience isn't on board, the comedian will immediately have to either lean into it and try to make that funny, which usually doesn't work, or just change tax. So that's my point, is that you're always taking it out of context when you tell me the next day what somebody said at a comedy show. Yeah, I feel like you're still relying on the, um, you know, like this particular audience's boundary so i i mean I, I do think the context is important i think it's like i mean we're I, I, we're fully on the same page that like if you're a critic or someone who's misrepresenting intentionally or not what was said then you know you're you're failing and like i'm not intending to defend those those people i guess i just want to defend the idea that like it is uh like i think critics have a role or people who are like talking back have a role um and and i think like criticism of comedians including from people who like weren't at the show or, or like didn't see the entire thing i guess i guess I'm, I'm not really on board with the like you can't possibly appreciate the the context of it or like it, i mean it, it, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is it's it's fine as long as the the current audience was fine with it and uh that that just doesn't, like that that seems to me that you know you have people sort of like stoking prejudices to get a, you know like there's a lot of like easy humor that comes from just uh kind of like encouraging people to um i mean i guess even the whole idea of like saying the things that they can't be said or whatever like the, the, the kind of underlying idea of that is well we all like secretly believe these things just like polite society means we can't say them out loud which is kind of like the whole you know grab them by the pussy trump thing was kind of like oh he's saying he's just saying what we're all thinking and like oh, no we're not all thinking that like I don't, um yeah and also and also it's like kind of like the idea that everything that's said in the locker room is uh some kind of safe space for men to be, uh, you know, misogynists or something because it's locker room talk. Yeah, I'm certainly not talking about that. What I mean specifically is that they will often present the audience as having been offended. Like, uh, 
none of us could believe what this horrible thing that this comedian said last night. Can you believe this hate speech that happened at Stand Up New York last night or whatever? And, like, if I was there and I know that the audience was not offended or, you know, they were laughing and, and the comedian was clearly making a joke. So I guess what, what we're really getting at, though, is the idea that something could be just a joke. So let me give you a couple other examples. Um, I have a, a friend, I don't want to say his name, but he's a pretty well-known comedian, and he has material about how when he was a young man, he used to work in a deli, and uh, when the black customers would come in, before they ordered all the extras on their sandwich, they would always ask, is that free? You know, he would say, do you want cheese? And they're like, is it free? And he'd say, yes. they say, put that on there, right? And he's a white comedian talking about his personal experience and what he noticed was the difference between the black customers and the white customers. Definitely walking that line between being offensive and racism or just making a joke. Now, here's what I noticed. I've seen this guy do this joke about 20 times. So I think that's a pretty good sample to see the patterns. When the audience is at least 10% black, the whole audience laughs at the joke. When the audience is more than 50% black, it's like his best joke. And when there are very few or no black people in the audience, the joke bombs every time. So what that means is... Now, you got to remember, I'm speaking as a comedian, the point of view of our job is to do whatever it takes to make those people laugh, right? The audience has its own morality about can we laugh about this? And that will change based on the demographics and the vibe of the audience because no New York City resident wants to feel like he's laughing at a Klan meeting, Right? That's not the vibe here. We don't want that. But if it's almost like you have to kind of feel like, okay, so we've all agreed that tonight we can laugh about this because it's relatively harmless. It may promote other stereotypes that are not as harmless, but in the context of dipping your toe in that water and taking a little bit of a, of a risk, sometimes this joke like brings the house down. But if I just told you the words to the joke on Twitter, I think everyone would say this is an offensive joke. This is racially charged, offensive material. And that's what I mean when I say you kind of have to be there. And and so it's not as cut and dried as like, well, we can look at the words and you know define each word and then figure out whether this should be allowed or not allowed, especially when the joke actually works better in a black audience. Now, there could be other reasons for that. Maybe they want to seem cool, but they're actually offended. You know, I don't know. But it seems like the laughs are, are pretty genuine. And by the way, again, that's not my joke. I'm talking about someone else's joke because I don't really have any jokes in that vein. But, there, you know, there's a lot of backlash against Michael Che, who, by the way, is not my favorite comedian. One time he and I got into an argument when he was on Twitter, which he's not anymore, about something that he wrote that I said, you know, I'm kind of offended by this. And he's like, and you're supposed to be a comedian? When are you performing next? I want to come see you. Like, he was almost bullying me, like, mm. like that I would be so intimidated to have him in the audience or whatever. 
So it's not like I'm uh, defending him as his friend because I don't I don't consider him a friend and I don't think he considers me a friend. But again, like just standing on my principles, he made a joke once about when Donald Trump said that um, trans people in the military, uh, they, he didn't want to have trans people in the military. And so they were passing a law or something about that. And Michael Che on national television, Saturday Night Live, said that this new policy is called Don't Ask, Don't Tuck. Okay, like, some people laughed, some people were upset. That's a perfect example of a joke that different people will take different ways. And I think a lot of it depends on what kind of sense of humor you have. Right? I don't think laughing at that joke makes you transphobic. I don't think writing that joke makes you transphobic. If you are transphobic, I think that joke will be funnier to you. Right? But there's kind of like, there's your moral code and then there's your funny bone. And I think that sometimes woke society, if you will, uh, doesn't make the the distinction. Like if something is on the wrong moral side because of the harm it could potentially do or the reinforcing of things that should not be reinforced that they're unable to or unwilling to take it for what it is which is it's a joke yeah I even like my my own reaction to that joke is like not like i guess having a problem with the kind of like underlying uh to, to the extent that there is an idea underlying it having a problem with that and also just as, as a sort of like uh, a craft like i think it's a it's a well or sort of just like a clever turn of phrase or whatever so i mean like to the extent that i think you can just sort of be like well that's funny regardless of whether i agree with the like underlying thing of it like i guess that is kind of my my reaction to that specific joke and i think that like having like i think it's like I think there should at least be a dialogue around that. Like I think that if you know if if he's going to um, make a joke like that on national television, I mean, like I'm sh- surely like he and the writers are aware that there's going to be that sort of um, you know that people are going to have a reaction to that, uh, and and I mean that's probably part of why they're they're putting it on there. And I think that like I'm not necessarily saying that 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 kind of joke shouldn't appear there at all but i think it's like they're definitely and i know i know that there are people you know who, who would say that it shouldn't um and i don't even necessarily know that those people are wrong i like i, I don't have really a firm opinion on that on that particular one as much as like i think at the very least if it's if it's going to be delivered on national television like it's a healthy thing that there are people saying like that was a problem or like here here's why that's a problem or here's why even though that doesn't seem like a problem to you it actually is like i think there are a lot of things where people and i'm aware that we're you know two cis white guys having this conversation where like (laughs) we're really not the people who are likely to be on the um the harmed side of of a lot of this uh so you know I, i like a lot of my it's not that I'm like personally harmed by a lot of this as much as kind of like trying to follow what I see as like arguments made by people who more, who are more kind of like at risk from, from some of these ideas being perpetuated. And so I think like there is something to be said for, yeah, it, it doesn't like, it seems to you, I don't mean you, Clayton, just like, you know, whoever is, is laughing at a certain joke, like, yeah, it seems to you like this is just sort of like a harmless joke and, and a safe thing to laugh at because you're not the person who has to deal with the, the consequences of it. Um, so I think, like, it's, it's, 
I, I think that there exists a world of things that seems completely unproblematic to some people and like a perfectly fine thing to just sort of like make jokes about and laugh about like, oh, we can all just sort of laugh about this thing. And then I, th- I think it's like valuable to then have other people. And part of the value of the space is that they articulate those things and other people can say to them like, oh, you know, that's not actually as fine as you think it is. Like, I think that's a better outcome than if they just never say those things out loud at all. But I do think that like getting the feedback on that of you thought that was funny, but actually, you know, it, it's at least like also harmful. Um, that seems like a valuable thing to me for that for that feedback to exist. Yeah, in theory, I agree with that. Um, I say in theory because I think that often the person who is uh, saying, well, actually is uh basically saying they're they're kind of being like a party pooper you know what i mean it's like we're all having fun everyone's laughing at this joke no one's actually being offended by it it's clearly a joke like no one's being offended by a part i don't think is right like the the, yeah, I mean, they, they are pooping on someone's party deliberately the, the, the point is like there are people having a party at someone else's expense and you know, hopefully those people don't realize it's to someone else's expense that they're not you know doing it deliberately with the intention of harming people but the people who are being harmed by it are saying like uh, I'm gonna go ahead and ruin this party for you because it's actually at my expense even though you don't realize that that's that's what I mean to say right right um, yeah and I guess that you know I don't want to keep repeating myself but uh, what I see is that often in the audience, the people who would theoretically be offended by such a joke are having the time of their lives. And then the cisgendered white people that are trying to police the uh, the culture are telling everyone why they should be offended, even though the people who would be the quote-unquote target of such a joke are actually enjoying the joke. So... I think that we get into a problem where we try to like protect everybody else. Now, I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that we as cisgendered white males can't have opinions about these things. But uh, I do notice that, you know, like as in the case of the deli joke that I mentioned earlier, uh, I feel like, the, and that's why you'll see like on Comedy Central or whatever, when they show a special, if a comedian makes a joke about another race they almost always show a member of that race laughing at the joke in the audience to kind of tell the viewer at home, like, see, it's okay, we're all laughing. And on one hand, I think that that's kind of cheap, like saying, hey, look, it's it's not hate speech because this white person's laughing right, at the white thing. You know, I think that's kind of stupid. But it also, it happens in real life that uh, the people that are supposed to be offended are not, and then other people are trying to like stand up for them even though the people that are supposedly offended are not now i mean it's very hard to say like no one's offended like i shouldn't have said that earlier i don't mean that no one's offended but as a comic i never want the audience to leave feeling like i was so offended by that comedy show i will never go to that guy's show ever again so like i mean i have a financial and personal interest in making sure that my comedy is not offensive. And that interest is at odds with my views on creativity in general. I know that the best work happens when you're not judging what you're doing while you're creating it. Now, I'm not talking about when you put it out there like for millions to see, but I'm talking about while you're creating it. 
And that's another problem I have with comedy club bloggers is we can't write without the audience. So I need to try and fail in front of an audience without worrying about somebody saying, you know, this comedian did this terrible thing last night at this comedy club. And there's a lot of this kind of comedy policing going on when really what needs to happen is comedian tries a joke, audience laughs or doesn't laugh, and the comedian learns how to do it better or whatever, you know. I don't think that we need comedy police because the comedy club is not um, the political platform. The comedy club is an entertainment venue where if the people in it are not entertained, the owner will find out very quickly and then those comedians will lose their jobs. We don't need bloggers also attacking our jobs because they don't like whether what we said was woke enough or not. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely think it should be that... Um it, it, it should be the, the people who are potentially uh, hard, and I, I want to use the word harmed rather than offended. I, I think offended makes it sound like it's okay. just a, um, like I, I think there are harms aside from just like that sort of hurt my feelings. Um, okay, but yeah, that's fine. We'll say harmed. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that like the you know people getting outraged on behalf of other people who are not actually like I think that is sort of obnoxious, and like I understand why that you know they're sort of like bad standard bearers for the position that I want to uh, uphold. I, I I fully agree with that. Um, I actually had an experience that I thought of when, when you mentioned the the deli joke, which I think is um, well, I'll just tell the story. So I. Um, was working at a debate camp on the south side of Chicago with two friends who were both black, one of whom lived in that area. And so one night after working at the camp, we went to her, her friend's uh, apartment. And uh, so it was like me as the only white person and probably like seven or eight black people. And they were watching uh, The Flavor of Love, which I don't know if you remember this, this show. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, Flavor Flav. Yes. Yeah, so I know. For people who don't know, uh, this was a, a, a dating show <laughs> hosted by Flavor Flav, <laughs> uh, which you can just Google Flavor Flav if you don't know who that is. Um, that'll offer a better description than, than what I could do here. Um, and <laughs> it was, it. so the show is sort of, um, it's, it's sort of a bunch of uh, mostly black women um, trying to date Flavor Flav. And, uh, essentially this turned into a very kind of like awkward situation this is obviously a show that like this this black audience like like they were watching it before i got there like that was like what they were doing when we showed up so then i was just sort of like watching it with them and um at some point uh, one of the ones who who was my friend who, who i had gone there with um said, i mean she was like kind of joking when she said this but like clearly she thought it was like important to say she was like you know we're not all like this or something you know this she was sort of like as although they were enjoying this kind of like um I think they were worried about how I was going to perceive it. And I think, I mean, I think I kind of remember Dave Chappelle, like, I think this was part of his argument for why he stopped doing his show. Like, despite the fact that his show was popular with black people, I think he felt like a lot of white people were laughing at it for the wrong reasons. So it's it's not just a matter of, like, um, like I, I, I can understand how black people might laugh at that deli joke in a way where they're... I can see how they would both find it. They could both find it personally funny, but also worry about how um, about like that they they might find it funny for a different reason than some white audiences might. Does that do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, um, are you laughing at us or are you laughing with us? Is kind of the ultimate. Yeah, right. Right. That's really what it boils down to. 
is uh you know do you think that we can all you know like there was a you know you want to go back and really like revise what's okay for comedians to do go and look at early Chappelle's show i mean he's making fun of crackheads he did a whole thing like if black people get reparations they're all going to use the money to buy rims for their cars like you know that if a white comedian made the exact same joke oh boy you know it would have been like instant cancel right and i'm good um, like and, that, that seems approximately right to me like i think he's capable of making those jokes like i i think that he, you know he he has a different sort of experience that in the, and maybe he does i mean I, I think he probably caught some flack from the black community even then and, and maybe would catch more now but like i i think like i guess that doesn't strike I, maybe you're not saying it's a problem but like that doesn't strike me as a problem that like he can say that and you can't no not at all i mean it kind of goes to the same question of whether uh someone who's not part of the group is offended by something that is allegedly offending a group that's actually not offended you know and i think it, it, it kind of works the same way like when it's when it's someone within the uh, minority group poking fun at, at something that exists within his or her own minority group like i don't think that that's going to be ever offensive to anybody so in other words like um if gabriel iglesias wants to talk about latinos he can virtually say anything about latinos because he's latino himself and he's kind of talking to his audience which is mostly latino people um and if i as an observer from the outside find it funny or not uh i i really don't have the right to be offended because it's kind of like for us by us sort of thing right um and so yeah Chappelle's issue one of the issues why he fled to africa famously like in the middle of the most popular show on television um was that he was having like a moral dilemma about what kind of laughs he was getting from non-black audiences and uh, I think that is uh, you know something that's kind of hard to come to terms with like am I part of the problem in a sense right now Chappelle has always been kind of controversial uh, he's one of my favorite comedians by the way so but that's a, again an aesthetic viewpoint I try not to talk about what's good or bad or what I like or don't like but it is interesting that how much I have always gravitated towards him because I think that he's so funny, first of all, but also he's really good at getting you to see things a certain way. Like one of my favorite jokes he ever did was when he was talking about the uh, election and, and everything. And he said, you know, that's why I want every single black man and woman to get out and register for a firearm. And everyone thought he was about to say register to vote. But he said, you want to see good gun laws in this country? Let's get more black people with guns. <laughs> you know, it's like it makes you laugh, but it also makes you think like he's probably right. That would result in a much more stringent control of you know assault rifles and everything else. So, um, you know, what, what he's great at and what I don't try to do with my comedy generally, but what he's great at is uh, making you look at society or politics or life on earth and seeing it in a different way that both makes you laugh but also makes you think um and you know he comes under fire for certain things he says you know they really uh went after him for the joke that he has about when gays started getting the right to marry 
and they had the lesbians and the gays kind of in one one category right and so it was like the the homosexual community and then the bisexuals were like can we join this party because we want rights too and then they were all like in the same car and things were going really well and people started to become more accepting of homosexuals bisexuals and that was cool and then the trans community wanted to get their rights at the same time and kind of join the party and so that's what that joke is about like maybe not everyone in the gay community was like oh do we really want to try to fight this battle at the same time as we're trying to fight our own battle because it really is a different question do you accept gay people do you accept trans people it's not the same question and Chappelle was making fun of the fact that the uh, the trans people were, in a sense, trying to uh, ride on the coattails of the recent political developments that were going on in the gay community. And, you know, if you don't believe in nuance and you don't look at the subtleties of that joke, wherein Chappelle's not even saying whether or not he thinks it's good or bad or neutral that some gay people felt this way he's just saying that this is kind of what what happened it caused a huge backlash and without nuance it just looks like he's being transphobic now he was never saying they don't deserve rights he was saying not everyone was on board with them crashing the party or joining the movement or trying to put more letters on the LGB right whole thing and the thing is, as a societal commentator, as some comedians are, again, not me, but the Chappelle's of this world are, I think the barometer needs to be, or the litmus test, if you will, should be, is it funny, number one? Is it coming from a place of hate? You know, what is he trying to do with that joke? You know, and that's, that's where we get lost, because... It's almost like if you just use the word trans, you are going to be accused by someone of being homophobic against trans people. Not every joke punches down. But it's easier, you know, it's just like in politics. There's always a false binary, you know. You're either in favor of open borders or you're a racist bigot, right? That's a false binary. You can be not in favor of open borders, but also care a lot about immigrants in America. That's a much harder conversation to have than just say, you're either with me or you're against me. And I think that this happens a lot in comedy, too. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think the, like, the, the stark binaries or, or the lack of nuance are helping anybody. Um, I do think that it's... Like, I, I think you can, without coming from a place of hate, like inadvertently do things that that harm people. And I guess it's not fair to accuse you of being hateful for that. But I think saying like this thing that you did, I mean, I, this is another sort of like buzzword for people but to say like this was problematic or like here's why you shouldn't keep doing that joke even though it's getting laughs um like that seems to me in, in the same way that that you'll say you know the, the comedy club is a place where people sort of like experiment with jokes and get feedback from the audience in terms of whether they're funny it seems to me proper that they're also getting feedback 
from you know the, the blogosphere or whatever. And again, like many of these people may be obnoxious, many of them may be wrong. Um, I'm, I'm you know I'm not going to defend. Like I'm sure there's plenty of like bad bloggers who do this badly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, just as there are many you know bad comedians who, who do comedy badly, and that's fine. For sure. Um, but just that like I think that is also part of the, the process or part of this national you know, conversation that that takes place that the comedy is, is a part of that like part of what they're getting feedback on is not just whether the joke is funny but also is like to the extent that they are expressing an underlying idea whether they're fully aware of that or not like part of the problem is a lot of times we're not aware of what all of our biases are so like we think we're just saying something that's like totally um oh this is just like you know, everyone can sort of be fine with this like this isn't a controversial thing to say and then like it turns out like that is controversial for some reason that you didn't realize and you may or may not end up agreeing with that controversy but like if it you know like being aware that that argument exists um and like i guess i think like people have a right to like push back against even if you weren't you know coming from a place of hate if people think like the thing that you said does have a harmful effect or potentially have a harmful effect like then they want to you know push back on that yeah, and you know, I'm on board with with criticism. I actually enjoy sometimes speaking with audience members, uh, especially, you know, strong thinkers like yourself about this joke I did or that joke I did or why I said this when the waitress dropped the drinks or you know whatever else can happen throughout the course of a comedy show. It's always nice to kind of uh, you know, do a post-game uh analysis afterwards almost like we do in poker like should i have check raised on that flop you know it's very similar you know comedians will get together just like poker players do and talk about you know did you watch my set tonight you know what did you think about this new idea i had um how did you like how i handled that heckler whatever else in a very similar way and that might be why there's a lot more overlap between um poker players and comedy fans than i originally thought there were um but yeah, uh, you know, I want to take you back. You and I are both old enough, Andrew, to remember uh, the late 80s, early 90s, I guess it was, when um, censorship was strictly the uh, purview of the uh, conservative Christian right. And music, you mentioned Flavor Flav, uh, artists like Public Enemy, uh, Two Live Crew, even ACDC, and others were being censored by um, people that were uh, on the right. Although T- Tipper Gore was part of that, not, not that she's like a hardcore, or that Gore is a hardcore leftist or anything, but it wasn't Tipper Gore kind of like leading that charge too? Yeah, Tipper Gore was uh, kind of became synonymous with it, um, but she was... You know, it's really hard to judge which politicians are actually right or left because it seems like everybody's just, where's the money? But yeah, she had a lot of donors um, that were, you know, kind of Christian organizations, churches. Politics was uh, pretty different back then. But yeah, I mean, I guess, of course, Al Gore is a well-known, you know, left-leaning liberal type guy. I I agree that the criticism is still coming from a conservative place, regardless of whether that that particular politician identified as conservative. Yeah, she ended up being kind of the face of it. Um, And, you know, that's why we have warning labels on music now. Uh, Not that CDs are still a thing, but (laughs) when when you would buy CDs, you would see that warning label. I don't even know how people get their music now, but I think it's still a law that uh, explicit content. Like, for example, if you and I use certain language on this podcast, um, you know, 
yeah, Apple we, we, we will just give keep you an explicit tag. tag. We just have that constantly tagged on there, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, well, that's cool. I, because, I think partly because um, gambling is considered in some circles, uh, you know, controversial content or the sort of thing that the youth of America need to yeah. be sheltered from. Yeah, yeah, you have to be at least eighteen to hear about poker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like you, know, you and I were, no poker until we turned eighteen. <laughs> right, absolutely. Right until your eighteenth birthday. Yeah, when your dad shared a beer with you when you turned twenty-one, that's when you learned about betting. Right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, but we remember a time when this was kind of the uh, the rallying cry. You know, this rap music and these you know heavy metal lyrics are killing our children. It's satanic, and they wanted to kind of put an end to it and liberal viewpoints were always look freedom of speech we can do what we want our music can say whatever we want and uh it's very curious to me how now censorship seems to be um something that the left has a lot more interest in than the right now i know we don't really do i'm not trying to make this a political discussion but i do find that very curious and as someone who started in comedy in the year 2000 okay so now here i am 21 years doing this i've seen the shift during my career that comedy was different like the spirit of you can say whatever you want the audience is fully expecting you to say whatever you want nothing is off limits um of course everything like there were secret limits like if a comedian truly pushed the limits that comedian will find out very quickly but now the culture is such that people are more concerned with whether something is problematic than whether it's funny and i think that sometimes that is hurting comedy in general because there are a small group of people that want to stop everybody else from making certain jokes because they're worried about whether something is hurtful or problematic. And I'm not saying that that small group is wrong, but that small group is very vocal. And I think what happens and maybe what, what we haven't really touched on yet is that the pendulum shifts the other way. Like, just like with music, the more you tell me I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. Like you see it with Michael Che the more I want to go even further because now that I know that you're a snowflake or whatever, you know, like all the kind of like words that we use for people that have any type of morality, <laughs> you know, well, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings, snowflake, right? Um, they, they want to go even further and that kind of creates a beast and this exact thing happened in music. You know, all of that gangster rap came from this. They're like, well, you can't say certain things in music. So the next thing you know, the hit song is F the Police, Cop Killer, right? Because they didn't want to be policed. And there was also a lot of problems with the Los Angeles Police Department. And now that you're telling me I have to like be careful what I say in my songs, no, screw that. I'm going to write a song about killing police, right? So you see this pendulum swinging the other way, and I'm, I fear that everyone who is kind of fighting that good fight to like make comedians be a little bit more careful that what you say doesn't hurt anyone i think a lot of comedians are going even further to try to push the envelope and part of it is being fueled by this movement towards uh censoring comedians 
Yeah, I mean, I not that I think we're going to get to the bottom of this today, but I think that the um, the the really tricky question is like, how do you get developed? Like, I, I think we agree that there's a lot of value in letting people explore taboo subjects, and those subjects can be taboo for a lot of different. You know, they offend conservative morality, or they they offend you know liberal morality, or um, even I mean, I think like when they offend everyone's morality. Like, I think that there is, um, I think there's there's value in, in letting people explore like whatever are like the absolute darkest, like the things that sort of everyone agrees is is bad. Like, we're probably not 100 percent right even about even about those things, um, or like under so like I think that a lot of great. Uh, artists uh, over time have been what we would call problematic, including a lot of re- like. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would go to a Louis C.K. show at this point. I, I think I would not. But um, I mean, I'm not going to deny that. Like, I did find him funny for a long time. Like, I still like. You know, I, I looked at a couple of Louis C.K. clips when we were discussing this, and like, I thought those were fun. And like, not just funny, but I think it's. Um, I don't know about this, I think that. Even if we accept, like, this is a person who has, like, bad sexual morality and, like, hurts, has hurt people, has used his position of power to hurt people, um, if there were a way that we could somehow, like, hear what uh, Louis C.K. sexual deviant has to say about sexual deviancy, because there are a lot of people who... um, like you know, it's not like he's the worst of like you know, it's it's a a big issue in our society, and I think like part of what he's doing with his comedy is kind of trying to understand like what is this sort of um, I guess just kind of like understanding the the psychology of like a behavior that's broadly considered monstrous, um, and the problem like so I think it is valuable having someone sort of like insightful trying to you know work out or help us make sense of what are those things like i mean lolita is another good example of that you know a a great book that's also sort of like um looking at uh of you know probably improper relationship between or not probably like you know improper uh sexual relationship between an, an adult and a child like i think having art that's um trying to help us like make sense of these things or like understand these things is is valuable but there's also the problem of like well we don't want to like the sort of problem with with louis ck or like bill cosby or or people like those i guess cosby wasn't really doing that in his in his comedy but they're like they end up in positions where they're able to do actual harm to people roman polanski or um uh, Woody Allen, you know, like a lot of people who have made great art have also like used their positions of power to hurt people. I mean, that's kind of a separate discussion from whether they're like the art itself is is hurting people. But I think like the ideal outcome would be that we're able to have the art that explores like taboo or troubling subjects or whatever. And the the question is like, how do we get that without also um, enabling the harm to people and like if we can't do that you know how do we how do we navigate that trade-off yeah and you're right we're definitely not going to answer that (laughs) question here but i will say that um you know i have my sixth sense or whatever that i use uh when i play poker and kind of like i can get a vibe for somebody at the table whether that person is uh bluffing or not but also sometimes more generally like whether a person is 
uh, creepy or has a dark passenger, <laughs> if you will, from Darkly de- Dreaming Dexter, uh, or whatever sort of demons someone has, I find that I seem to have a, a, a knack for um, you know, sensing that. And all that to say that before all the uh, truths about Louie came out, whenever I would see him in a comedy club, I would get like uh, a tingle in my spine. Like I could never put my finger on it. I would just say, you know, I used to be an MC at a certain club in town and he used to come in pretty regularly and every time I bring him up, like right when he would shake my hand and I had this weird tingle in my spine, like something about that guy just, I can't tell you what it is, but he creeps me out, you know, and, uh, you couldn't, you can't articulate it and I didn't know exactly what he was doing behind closed doors, but I had a sense of him. And then when he started getting really popular, at one point he was by far the biggest comic on the planet. And uh, I, I always, always like, I, it's so weird to me that everybody is so obsessed with him. Are they not listening to what he's saying? Now, I noticed what he was saying in a different way than everybody else. And this kind of drives the, the point home. Of, of you know what I'm what I'm my thesis if you will on comedy is intent matters because Louis said a lot of messed up things about being a sexual deviant he made an episode of his TV show where they gave him basically free will free license to do whatever he wanted free reign that was the term I was looking for uh, to do whatever he wanted on his show he did an entire episode about the fact that he can't help but masturbate and and things like that you know like he has like sexual problems and everyone just looked at it and because he was deified basically he was a you know comedy superstar uh you know of the highest magnitude everyone just said well he's just joking he's just he's just kidding around you know he's that's just Louis. He's like he's making a joke. We don't. If you're offended by this, it's because you don't understand what he's really saying, you know. And uh, that always rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, okay, so we're giving this guy a pass, even though I've always felt like there's something really creepy about him, but I can't tell you what. I don't enjoy his humor because I find him creepy in person. Maybe not on TV, but when I'm in his presence, I feel that thing. That thing that makes me good at live poker. Same thing. Um, I always thought it was messed up the way we have this double standard. Almost like when a politician that's on your side is accused of sexual misconduct. It's like, oh, well, she's probably just being paid by the other side to uh, say that she was touched inappropriately or something. You know, it's just uh, there's there's so much hypocrisy in it all you know we're either cool with rape jokes or we're not we're either okay with problematic comedy that punches down or we're not and i could show you a lot of louis clips where he was basically telling us i am the worst human being and everyone's like oh he's so funny and (laughs) self-deprecating and i was like well maybe he's being honest (laughs) you know not a good guy um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's a lot of great music that comes from not a good guys. A lot of great books were written by not a good guys. 
a lot of great movies and, and on and on and on like throughout the history of the world we've been able to separate the art from the artist and I feel like in comedy because there is a cancel culture of sorts in progress uh, some of the not so good guys that might be contributing in some way to the uh, comedy you know whatever is uh, they're being they're being silenced because they're not good guys you know it's almost like the time when Charles Barkley told us he's not a role model he's a basketball player you know and there's a, there's a lot of big questions though do you want to support financially support someone who's not a good person you know I, I understand if you don't want to but I don't think that every comedian who ever makes an off-color joke or a, a, an edgy joke or a joke that is problematic is a bad person who needs to be canceled I'm with you I think we should be having a dialogue about what's going on in the comedy world the same way we do about what's happening in other worlds so and I guess that's where I land on it. Yeah, I, I know you've got to go in a minute, so I don't want to like open up a whole other uh, can of worms. Um, I just think when, you know, when I hear you say like cancel culture, like everyone who makes any problematic joke, um, that's it. Doesn't seem to me like that's happening. Like like that uh, that you know, people are getting. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be like, I, I don't have the same experience that you do, obviously, in, in the comedy world. But a lot of, like when I ask people for concrete examples of like, you know, who are these people who are getting canceled? I mean, I've tried to do that because like there are a lot of poker players, I think, who, who you know, throw that word around. And I'm like, well, wait, wait, who are these problematic people who get canceled? You know, people will say like Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K. And I'm like, OK, well, Dave Chappelle was definitely not canceled. He's doing perfectly fine. Um, Louis C.K. was, I mean arguably canceled but like not because of the things he was saying like that was a pretty separate issue same with bill cosby you know like i don't um i, I don't know that there really are there are, i haven't seen the examples of someone like making a single joke and, and losing a job over it like is that is that a thing that's happening yeah no that's not a thing that's happening but more what's happening is there's a reason why you haven't heard of the people that i'm talking about and it's because they've basically been blacklisted or canceled before they got famous right. And so, like, yeah, I mean, Chappelle's a terrible example, but you're asking me to, to name someone that you have never heard of. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, if I give you the name of a person that I know that's banned from this club because he made a certain joke or whatever, um, or, or got written about by that Seth Simons guy who seems to be trying to tear down every comedian who's not as far left as he is, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of a, a bigger problem because yeah Chappelle's going to be fine no matter what Chappelle can go out and say whatever he wants now because he's already made you know 500 million dollars right so I'm not talking about famous comedians that uh, get scrutiny for their 50 million dollar Netflix specials I'm talking about guys that are at, at my level like basically no names but we're working you know I've been working professionally as a comedian for about 15 years um, and I'm not famous. There are so many of us, like people kind of in my category. And to be clear, I've never been canceled. Nobody's <laughs> trying to cancel me for my jokes about losing my keys or my dad playing the bass, you know? Like, I'm, I'm, this isn't really my, my fight personally. It's more, I guess, 
you know, like, well, like you said, it's more like my philosophical viewpoint, and maybe also the fact that I enjoy the comedy of some comedians that would certainly be considered problematic. Um, not all of them, of course, but I like I like good comedy, and again, I use that word I try not to use good, but you know, like just like you say that you have a preference for certain comedians and. You know, you know, Louis was certainly one of them, or maybe is. You're able to still look at his old stuff fondly and say, yeah, he did make me laugh a lot, and he had a lot to say. Um, I'm kind of the same way with certain comedians that uh, would have been listed in this article about uh, this guy wanting to cancel people. And he has a lot of power because he has a lot of readers, and he writes for big publications, and... Uh, you know, if this guy wants you gone, it feels like he might be able to do that or at least make your life harder. And then what happens is you start to get exactly what he's afraid of. You start to get like alt-right comedy, which nobody wants. Nobody wants there to be like a freedom of speech over here and then like a, a woke, careful, safe space comedy over there. I don't think anyone actually wants that. Yeah, I don't know that alt-right comedy would be freedom of speech comedy either. I think they would be their their own set of like things that wouldn't fly on that uh, tour or in those clubs or whatever. Yeah, well, it's starting to happen. You know, like there's uh, there's a network called Compound Media, which is uh, is built as the free speech network, and much of what is said on there would have been okay, like back in the day on Opie and Anthony or uh, you know, Howard Stern back in the day, like when kind of just being as off the wall and problematic as possible was uh, paying a lot of bills, you know. Um, it, it's always follow the money, too, by the way. So now they have their own set of listeners. It's like a pay-per-view kind of service or like a subscription-based service, and you can get the kind of uh, comedy that you wouldn't find elsewhere so and they you know they say free speech some would say it's hate speech um you know full disclosure i've been a guest on the network a few times and i've heard some things said that i don't agree with but i guess because i'm pretty open-minded about other people sharing their opinions i was never offended by what was said but i wasn't i wouldn't have said it myself <laughs> put it that way um and I can also see that something that I disagree with wholeheartedly, I can laugh. Like Bill Burr. Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians, and I will talk about him in, in aesthetic terms. I don't think there's a better master of the craft of constructing a joke and making a point in a funny way than Bill Burr. A lot of his points are uh, ideas that I don't approve of or disagree with, but maybe because I'm a comedian and I've practiced the craft, I, and that's less important to me. Like, whether or not I agree with you, I'm not voting for you. I'm laughing at your jokes. And so I think that the standard should not be the same for a comedian as they would for, like, a, a politician or someone who's in charge of the school system or something like that. It's like, at some point, I think we should try to get back to okay, but is it actually hurtful or can we just lighten up a little bit and laugh at this? Or is this actually hurtful enough that we need to have a full discussion about it? 
And I think that's probably kind of the area, generally speaking, where you and I might differ. Yeah, I think part of it is like who gets to decide whether it's actually hurtful. Yeah, that's a good question. Who do you think should decide? Uh, I mean, I think if people are telling you, like, this hurts me, then to just say, well, the problem is just that you can't take a joke, like, that seems... Uh, so, I mean, I, got, like, I, it's a, I would draw the distinction between, like, if, if me, white guy, is saying, like, that's hurtful towards black people, and, like, 100% of black people are like, no, we're fine with this, then, like, that's my problem. But I think if it's... You know, if, if someone is, is saying, like this this joke is hurtful but not just in the sense of like hurts my feelings or offends my sensibilities but like i think this joke is contributing to a political culture that's actively dangerous to me like i think that's something that deserves to be taken seriously and and not just um you know you just don't have a sense of humor why can't we all laugh at this like that seems like a a a legitimate criticism to me and i think a lot of that legitimate criticism gets pushed aside as oh that's just cancel culture you just don't have a sense of humor you're just being politically correct like i mean i I think you're right that i mean at at the very least it's like whether or not people are allowed to say those things like i think other people being allowed to say that that causes harm to me or it causes harm to people that i care about um I, I think like I think that gets dismissed too lightly. Well, I could tell you that the conversations I've heard between comedians and people who were offended, most of those conversations, maybe all of those conversations, were between the comedian and a young white person. <laughs> so yeah, there, there are never a lot of bad standard bearers of this argument. I I fully agree. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've been in comedy for 20 plus years, and I have yet to see the uh, the offended person be anything other than like some NYU student or some, you know, just as you say, an inappropriate standard bearer. Believe me, if I ever saw someone come up, you know, like a gay person come up to me after the show and say, you know, that little joke you made. Um, it actually hurt my feelings because, you know, I, I'm a gay person and I struggle with kind of these issues. Now, I don't really do that kind of humor, but I've seen those conversations take place between other comedians. And yeah, I do have a couple of things that somebody might say, well, you know, Clayton, that might be, you know, although from the full perspective of comedians, I'm definitely more on the what you would call the safe side, the clean side, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I might have one or two lines that somebody might take exception to. I've yet to see like, the person who's supposedly going to be offended express being offended. Now, that doesn't mean those people are not offended. But what I see in the audience is they laugh at the jokes. After the show, they say, you guys were great. And they go home and live their lives. And then the bloggers and the intellectuals and the uh, mostly college students start telling us why you know, our comedy is uh, problematic or whatever. I would take it much more seriously if if, uh, if a minority ever said, you know, your joke is hurtful to minorities and here's why. I've never seen it, though, Andrew. Really haven't. Fair enough. Well, I know you know how to go at uh, 1.30, so I'll let you have the last word with that unless there's anything else you wanted to say. Uh, I just want to thank you for, um, you know, being open to 
having a dialogue i feel like nuance is is kind of getting lost everything seems to be black and white you're with me or you're against me you're red or you're blue you're good or you're bad and it's nice to be able to talk about something that's complicated like art comedy entertainment culture these issues are generally not going to be as cut and dried um as, as other issues might so it's nice to just be able to have like a a discussion i know that we don't always see everything eye to eye and that's one thing i love about being friends with you well thank you as well i also uh, appreciate the opportunity and i appreciate you taking the time my pleasure sir anytime take care Of a bill, and the will sign us into.